0: Welcome to The Pemberley Podcast, a podcast where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations, now covering Recipe for Persuasion by Sonali Dev. I'm Yolanda Rodriguez. And I'm Jillian Davis. We are proud partners of the Frolic Podcast Network,
1: a community made up of your favorite voices in all of Romancelandia and beyond. Keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at The Pemberley, and you can email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. This episode is brought to you by Kensington's newest title from bestselling author Kate Pierce, the rebellious rancher. Attachment to the land, hard work, and community is what sets the folks of Morgantown apart from the everyday. In Kate Pierce's third Millers of Morgan Valley romance, a rough-around-the-edges cowboy and a pampered actress on a camping adventure must find common ground in order to survive the elements in the wild and each other. But can a jet-setting movie star and a
0: homebody cowboy find the best of both worlds? Author Kate Pierce is known for her ability to create a realistic and compelling community filled with complex characters which readers, especially fans of Western romance, love revisiting. You can find The Rebellious Rancher by Kate Pierce wherever books are sold. Find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. Hello,
1: everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Pemberley podcast. We're going to talk about chapters 11 and 12 of Recipe for Persuasion this week. So previously, Ashna and Rico figure out how to work together for the show, and Ashna continues to deal with her mother's disapproval. Speaking of her mother's disapproval... These are some really unique chapters because they're from Shobi's perspective.
0: Yeah, I was not expecting this at all. But actually, I'm like, so glad we're getting Shelby's perspective. So chapter 11 is Shobie present day, and we're kind of getting some of her thoughts and reflections um, about her daughter. And chapter 12 is going to be about Shobi in the past and getting some more insight about what was going on in her life. So I think these these chapters are great because too, I feel like we were getting such a one note perspective of Shobi of like, she's just someone who wants to tear her daughter down and never has anything positive to say about her. And it's really tough when you just see it from Ashna's perspective. So now we get to go into Shobi's shoes and, and see what she's thinking, which chapter 11 starts with her just walking along the ocean, looking out and just kind of thinking about Where she went wrong, really, you know, she sees like this mother and daughter who are running together and laughing and having this great relationship. And she sees it and Gia says a pang of envy mixed with yearning tugged at her. And that's so tough to read. And you're like suddenly pulled into Shobi's world of like, oh, this is what she's going through on a day-to-day basis. Like what we thought was like just sort of like this um, distant mom who wanted to judge her daughter (laughs) every so often by calling her and being like, you're doing everything wrong, actually wants and yearns for this healthy relationship with her daughter and wants to be close to her and wonders even if it's too late. So I thought this was like, whoa, we're getting this whole other side to Shobi that we didn't expect. And even seeing how what Ash says affects Shobi just as much as the things Shobi says to Ashna. Shobi has the line of like uh, repeating in her mind of Mina Kaki is helping me. And that's something Shobi has heard so much over her of Ashna's life of like, no, don't worry about it. Mina's helping me. And that's something that hurts her because on the one hand, it's great. I mean, to Ashna, it's great that she does have Mina and who's been helping her all this time, especially when her mom left her. But on the other hand, Shobi feels like that should be me. Like I should be the one who is able to help her. And to Shobi, she feels like, well, I can't help her because she keeps blocking me out. But also, I mean, they are thousands of miles apart too. Like there's only so much that she can possibly do or help with over the phone. That's a little bit of what we're getting in this, in this chapter. Yeah,
1: and I feel like it does a really good job of showing how hard it is to be a mother, it's even harder to feel like you're a good mother. It's, you know, it's not enough that she, like, gave birth to this girl, and in the next chapter, we're gonna see a little bit more surrounding the circumstances of her marriage and um, journey to domestic life, but, like, she's a person and she wants to feel like she lived her life to the fullest. What I'm sure is really hard for her right now is, like, I'm sure Shobi is, like, in her 50s and it's sort of that point in your life where you realize you have more years behind do than you do ahead of you. And so I'm sure a lot of your thoughts are around or surrounding like, what could I have done to feel like I'm not happy right now? Is there anything I could have done in the past to make me feel like I've lived an amazing life to make me feel like I've made all the right choices? Because she has so much to show for her career, and what she's done in female empowerment and women in sports and like, You know, she's got this incredible platform, but, like, what is it worth if her daughter hates her and every single phone call ends in an argument because she's not trying to be critical of Ashna. The last conversation they had in the last chapter where she was sort of reprimanding her for not having a boyfriend. It's not that she's trying to force old-fashioned beliefs on her daughter. It says she wishes she had a stronger relationship with her. I feel like she's like, if I had to do over again, I would have put a lot more work into my relationships with my family instead of, you know, working as hard as I did. I'm sure she's glad that she's worked as hard as she has and I'm Sure, she's done a lot of good, but like she's envious of seeing this mother daughter duo on the beach she's so envious when she hears that her sister-in-law is the one who's there for Ashna because she wants to be there for her but she physically is not and Ashna's always seen it that way of like it's so easy if you want to be here for me just be here for me but it's clearly not that easy for Shobi and she wants nothing more than for her daughter to love her because she loves her so much and she's doing a bad job of showing it
0: yeah and it's back to like the flashback. argument that we saw where Shobi was telling her ex-husband Bram of like you can have it all like you're able to be here and to be a bad dad really and run this restaurant and almost like you have it all and she looks up to you so much I can't have both I can't have motherhood and a career which we'll find out more it's like this motherhood was and like this relationship and being a mom was not the right timing maybe for her but it doesn't matter that it wasn't the right timing it's like now she's realizing a should have taken better care of that relationship from the start you know it doesn't matter that she wasn't ready for it it's like it came at her and maybe she didn't do the quite the right thing of of letting it pass by but she does mention that like once she saw the viral clip of Ashna swooning over Rico, She watched it on a loop. Like she hasn't had any contact with her daughter and even says like it had been far too long since she'd seen her baby. Missing Ashi was part of her life because of how much she distanced herself. It's the reality, but she does still resent Brahm for pushing Ashna into cooking and the fact that when she went to California, it was like those eight years just never existed. So the joy that Ashna did find in soccer was suddenly erased. Shobi also feels like no, she could have continued with soccer and been happy because she doesn't know that Ashna was playing soccer in secret, which I'm sure she'd be happy to know. But she feels like Brahm in a way stole a little bit of Ashna's joy away from her too.
1: I know. And so I mean, because like Shobi's whole deal is empowering young women all over the world to follow their dreams and to like play sports because it's frowned upon in so many countries. We'll get into that even more in the next chapter. It's like she feels that she was never able to do that for Ashna. And it's crazy because like when we, we've always been on Ashna's side of the phone call, it's not even like she thinks in her head while she's talking to her mom, oh, I miss soccer. She's just so deeply resentful of what her career represents, how she chose something else to over her daughter. And she doesn't realize that every time Shobee's like, give up the restaurant, have a life, she's not trying to be critical of her choices. She's just like, no, like, I chose, like, fixating on my career my whole life. I ignored having a personal life I ignored all of these things and I'm twice your age and I'm not happy and if I like I feel like it's her way of saying if I could go back and make different choices I would have chosen other things and I wouldn't have all these regrets by the time I'm my age and you're you're gonna blink and you're gonna be my age and I don't want you to have regrets but she she doesn't say that.
0: If Shobi was willing to give that backstory and be more open about like why she's trying to push Ashna to pursue big better things, then maybe Ashna would get more of the perspective, but they're just never gonna get that clarity over the phone. It needs to happen in person. We do get another mention of Omar in this chapter, which we'll learn more about him in the next chapter, honestly. Omar was someone who she had known her whole life. His father and family managed Shobi's family's estate even before their family lived there, so that was how she knew Omar. So I think we're getting a little bit more insight to how they knew each other.
1: For sure. And I think I know the passage that you're talking about, and I do want to read it. So at the bottom of 135, it says Shobi herself didn't remember ever not being in love with Omar, with her sport, with her work. How had she given birth to someone who at 30 was so uninterested in love, or in anything for that matter, so insular and controlled about everything? Because you weren't around to teach her passion, the waves whispered to her. I feel like there's just so much to unpack in that statement because she feels like her daughter's not passionate about anything. She feels like she doesn't love anything and she's so controlled and insular. We also learned a couple of chapters ago that Ashna obsessively organizes things ever since her father died because like she just has a different kind of trauma than her mother does. And in the next chapter, we'll like get to explore a lot more about like why she is the way she is and why she's made the decisions that she has. But like she fundamentally just doesn't have any empathy for Ashna's situation because she's like, I don't understand how you don't just do whatever your heart says or how you could just like not do what makes you happy. Like they definitely grew up with different ideas of duty.
0: And I I think it is like this great insight into Shobi of like thinking about these big questions of like where she went wrong, realizing the answers of like, because you weren't there, because you weren't there to teach her. And she is very aware of that. She even like remembers when Ashna was eight years old, and she already saw the signs of Shobi withdrawing from her or not being as responsive to her as a mom. I think by that point, Shobi had left she was off with a World Cup tournament competing, and she returns and so she comes back and she's like, "I missed you," and Ashna's like, "Yeah, at eight years old, she already saw those signs, and so it's like things were already going off track, and they just have never been on track since then, which is really rough to come back from.
1: It's not even like her relationship with Ashna, it's more her relationship with motherhood because in the middle of page 136, she says she had let Ashi go because she hadn't known how to be a mother. She hadn't known how to compromise with something she was forced into because losing herself entirely to motherhood was the price Bram and the world had demanded of her. And then the next sentence is how she hated that man. Yeah. And I I feel like, Something that I've, like, sort of been thinking, but, like, the evidence is now here. Shobi loves Ashna. She's, like, her daughter. She's her joy. Like, of course she loves this girl. But, like, she was forced to marry Bram. And, like, obviously Ashna doesn't see it that way because she idolizes her father. Shobi is just so deeply resentful of Ashna being a part of this life that she was forced into. She was, like, forced to move to America with her husband, even though she had a whole life in India. And she was going to be forced to, like, also probably this restaurant and to motherhood. Like, you know, she was expected to stay at home, make Ashna her world. Even though Ashna feels like her whole heart and her whole world, she is just so deeply resentful of those expectations that she ran away from all of it. That's all she knew how to do in order to like feel like her life was her own.
0: One of the last things she uh, kind of says to the ocean is, I want my daughter back and she doesn't know how to start, really. And that's a a long process of trying to figure that out, which um, in talking about being forced into motherhood and figuring out who Omar is in her life, um, we can go into chapter 12, where actually we get more of that backstory because we get Shobi when she is 18. Thinking about this guy, Omar, who wrote this letter that starts with, on your 18th birthday, 18 reasons why you own my heart. She was in love with this guy. They were in love and then you're like oh my goodness like what was going on here there's just so much to
1: unpack there because I'm like oh my god he's vulnerable with her he's open Mm -hmm. with her he's honest about his I don't even know this guy but I know he's like an open sensitive guy Shobi in this flashback is the same age that Ashna was when her whole life went up in smoke so there's like a lot of parallels here but they look so different because what we kind of get from the beginning of this chapter is that the Rajay I mean the Rajay family is like Top top notch royalty, and she's also kind of like I, I kind of think of it as like when Princess Diana married Charles. Like she was like in the upper echelons of these social circles, but she married like the future king kind of deal. It sounds like she and Bram are good friends. It sounds like he's a total player. He dates international models. He flies all over the world and has a million girlfriends. And so she's that friend that's there for him every time and talks to him about things. And she has this very beautiful emotional romance with Omar, who, like you said earlier, Omar's father is keeper of her family's estate. Another thing that we get later on in this chapter, Omar's was Muslim. There was this this new layer of like his father was Muslim, his mother was a Hindu but she died when he was very young so Omar's like not quite very religious and this is a huge turn off to her father. Everything about him is just like a big red flag to him.
0: Similarly to Ashna and Rico whose whole relationship was secret and he was seen as of a lower class. Like we're seeing such strong parallels to Shobi who trying to maintain the secret relationship. Um, He had gone off to study to Oxford and she's actually waiting to hear back of like her applications to Oxford and Cambridge trying to be closer to him because obviously they still want to be together because he wrote her this beautiful letter. We don't get to see the full letter, but just the beginning is enough. Her father calls her in because he's like, I have something to tell you. Uh, It's this great opportunity. It's like the best idea ever and I'm sad I didn't think of it myself basically her father tells her the rajas have asked for your hand for brahm and she kind of stops listening to things because she's like this doesn't make sense in Chobi's mind she's like what do you mean brahm is like Barely a friend. Like we've been friends for a year. Even in that year, like we've just been friends. So what's going on? And she, I love that she's like, that's for my hands. Like what for? And her dad's like, marriage. Like what are you talking about? So things quickly kind of click for her, and she's like, what do you mean? I'm 18. I'm just thinking about going to college. And he's like, oh yeah, like he'll let you go to college. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean he'll let me? That was my decision. That's my choice. If I want to go to college or not, I'm not not gonna wait for this guy who's not even my husband to grant me permission to go. So there's a lot of things happening at play because she, even she's like, I can't get married. I'm in love with Omar. <laughs> like, he doesn't know this, but I can't.
1: I feel like I'm seeing parallels between Ashna and Shobi's ability to compartmentalize their lives. And it's just like, all right, what do you need from me? It's just like a lot of, there's just so much sort of subservience in this of just like, I'm just trying to live my life, but I've got to appease you. What do I need to say to you? So that I can get my way. And I was like very shocked at this sentence that he says because she's like, did you hear from Oxford? And he's like, well, now, even if you did hear from Oxford, I won't be the one deciding if you go. It's not a and conversation
0: of like whether or not she is even going to accept. It's sort of like an assumed yes too. Yeah, It's sort of like, here's this offer. You have no choice. Like you're going to accept and you're going to get married. And this is like your life now. So that's also what's terrifying to to Shobi.
1: Now that she's sort of back to her sort of current state of shock, she didn't think Brahm even wanted to be with her. He's got like 10,000 girlfriends. They're all supermodel type. Um, she says she was shobin, plain old shobin with thick brows and oily skin and hips too wide. What interest would someone like Brahm have in her? Then her dad's like, well, no, it's his idea. And I think it's the best idea in the world because like you could not do better than the Rajay family. That's when she has to be real about her relationship with Omar, which does not go over well.
0: Her father can't even understand. He's like, you're saying no to the Rajays right now. Like, do you know their status? Do you know how wealthy they are and what kind of life you can have if you just- go forward with this but then she does say i'm in love with someone else and i will marry only him her father slaps her and it's like this very explosive moment because it's something that Shobi wasn't ready to tell this secret. Her father wasn't ready to know it either. Like they, not, neither of them were prepared for this moment. That does not excuse what her father did at all. He was awful in this moment because, like, then he is so rude to her and being like, "How are you in love with someone else when you've been with Brahm this whole time?" And she's like, "I've not been with." Like he's just there. He's just a guy. Our families, are friends. Like I see him, but I have not let him on in any way. It says at the top of one forty-seven, Brand had spent most of their
1: vacation talking about his many girlfriends. Like yeah, I already don't want to marry this guy. You don't want to marry the guy who is unloading all his girlfriends about you, and then suddenly it's his idea to marry you. I mean, to me, that sounds like he does sound like the kind of guy who wants to have his cake and eat it too. Where like show is going to be like a very dutiful wife, like they're really good friends. And so he's like, great, I'll marry my best friend. Part of me thinks he has no intention of letting up on these like international girlfriends kind of thing, like his playboy. We've gotten lots of hints over the past several chapters of just like people refer to him as HRH, his royal highness, like he definitely carries himself with princely airs. And he has like a lot of entitlement. And it sounds like he thinks he can just make the world revolve around him. And another thing that is an extreme parallel to Shobi and Ashna is they both felt like they had to hide their teenage romances because they are not, the guy was not their idea Or like their family's idea of like what a good boyfriend husband figure is. It's like terrible what her father does to her. He even says like this horrible sentence at the bottom of 147. If you were in love with someone else, you shouldn't have cavorted with Brom for the past year. I did not raise a whore. Holy crap. She didn't even think Brahm was interested in her like that. This is like all kinds of shocking to Shobi and she's very overwhelmed and she's 18.
0: Yeah and I mean you think about Ashna and it's like this is a whole side of the story that Ashna has no idea about either because in her perspective like they got married they had Ashna. Suddenly Shobi didn't want to be a mom anymore so she left. Ashna doesn't know that like how much her and her mom's stories are so similar if only Ashna knew it if only Shobi could be more open with her daughter and I think that's honestly something that she's debating and she's like you know what I think maybe it's later in this chapter, but I think it was in chapter 11 where Shobi is starting to think, you know what, maybe Ashna should know all of this because this is going to help us actually bond and become closer. Like maybe if she just understood my perspective and my story, she would be able to better understand that this whoever this guy she built up in his head to be of Brahm being like this perfect father, that's not the case. And that wasn't what, what Shobi saw at all. So this very specific side that Ashna saw isn't the full picture. Either, But in talking to her father and realizing that no, this isn't a prank that Brahm is actually asking for her hand. She says um, that she's in love with Omar. He's like, what? The son of a servant? Like he's the one that you... Are in love with, not only is it the fact like you mentioned, he's of a different religion, that he's of a lower class, so it's just like these two things that there's no way that her father's ever going to approve of, and so she has to marry Bram.
1: And he takes it a step further because you know she's trying to be steadfast in her love and her dedication to Omar. Because I mean, the other thing is because you know this conversation started with she thought she was going to lose her autonomy to be able to go to college. She had no idea that she was being like interviewed for the position of Brahm Rajay's wife. You know, she's trying to remain faithful to Omar and she wants to be with him. And he's like, look, if you refuse to marry Brahm Rajay, I'm going to fire his father. And he goes into the fact that like he's actually done a lot for his father. He says at the bottom of 148, I paid for his daughter's wedding, for his wife's treatment and wake, his son's education. And he does this to me? Is the bastard stupid? He owes me millions of rupees. The two families have been very generous to each other. Now that Shobi is in love with his son, that all goes out the window. And he's like, I will fire this man and ruin this man's life if you keep seeing Omar.
0: Yeah, because he even is like, I could frame it so that he looks like it looks like he's basically been stealing all this money from me and frame him and like put him in jail even fully ruin his life. It's like this awful place to be put in where she's like, I love Omar so much. But is it choosing him and ruining his family's life forever or sacrificing their love to make sure that they do have a good life still? Those are the two options that she has to choose between. Like, that's it. There's no other option which is awful and it's like obviously we we kind of find out like through what's happened she has to choose from like I wonder like how the oh, I'm, I hope we find out more but like I wonder how this played out then because I mean if she was still communicating with Omar over letters and, and hoping that she might go to Oxford like how much does it hurt then to then maybe the next letter or the next thing he hears is like oh by the way Shobi's married now and like when well, they were still communicating and still in love with each other and now like all of that is out the window. For sure. And like in connecting Shobi's
1: situation to Ashna's because we know from that flashback argument between Brahm and Shobi, we know that he knows about Omar. So like he fully knew that his wife was deeply in love with someone else and he essentially like tore them apart by making her an offer she couldn't refuse. I wonder how much that experience that he had Played into telling her she had to break up with Rico. Yeah. Because I'm sure it was like a very similar thing of like this guy, he's like of a lower class was raised in a different culture. Like, my daughter can do so much better. She should have the best. The same way her her mother had to, like, ditch that loser to marry me. Like, I'm very curious to know what was going through his mind when he found out that Ashna and Rico were seeing each other.
0: Yeah, because I mean, in his mind, then he sees Rico as Omar. And so he's like, yeah, of course, he's not good enough for you. Like, he's not really talking. He doesn't even I'm sure get to know Rico at all. So he's really just basing it off of like, imagine this is Omar. No, you're not good enough, get away from her. It sucks then because you're like, oh man, if only Shobi knew about this relationship about Ashna and Rico, she would have been a hundred percent supportive of her daughter and been like, forget everything your dad is saying, forget all of that go and run off and be happy with him. I made that mistake and thankfully like you don't have to rely on family money or getting blackmailed or anything like that. You're not being forced into the situation. Ashna was just more emotionally influenced to make that decision rather than feeling like she was a family obligation in a way. So if only Shobi had been there for her and been present in her life enough to know what was going on, maybe things would have unfolded very differently.
1: This flashback is is really important for understanding Shobi's upbringing because she was just so controlled and so manipulated like her whole life. You know, she's like so good at cricket, she loves it with her whole heart and she just wants to go to college and like live this life. Suddenly college isn't an option anymore who she loves isn't an option anymore. Like eventually staying in India and becoming a mother is probably like not like a choice for her. And so she was just like forced to do so much of like what her father wanted and then what her husband wanted for so long. These like entitled men. I can definitely see where she was like, it's now or never. I have to have my own life. Otherwise, I'm going to go crazy. I mean, I don't know if we're going to get Brahm's point of view, but like, He was someone who thought he was in control and very entitled to a lot of things. And he was so overwhelmed by everything, he killed himself. (laughs) You know, we don't know all of what was going on in his head to lead to that, but I'm sure Shobi didn't want to feel so overwhelmed that it would come to that for her. She wanted to live her life. This chapter ends with her father giving her this ultimatum of like, choose Omar and I completely ruin his family or choose Brahm Rajay and everyone is going to be happy. Everything's going to be fine. And then he like hands her over to a servant and says, take baby to her room. She is not to leave there until I let her out myself.
0: It's great that we have this insight into Shobi's upbringing and and what she went through to see that, like, the decision wasn't just motivated by her career ambitions. It was led by wanting freedom and wanting control of her life. There was so much more than what Ashna knows or sees, so what she thinks was a very selfish decision to just pursue her career, there was so much more going on in that situation. And it's also
1: like the first time she was able to make a selfish decision. So much of Shobi's point of view have been like, I was always passionate about this and passionate about that. And I would fight for this and fight for that. And how come my daughter's not the same way? And she doesn't see that her daughter is also a fighter. She's also passionate. It's just that they're about such completely different things. And they come from such different POVs on this that like neither of them know how similar they really are oh, everyone's yeah. just keeping yeah. everything bottled up their past loves and their true passions and what's motivating them like no one's talking about it and so they just assume they're the most different people in the whole world and there's no way they could ever get along and her mom like I mean I'm sure to show her way of extending a knowledge branch is inviting her to come to India and award her with the Padma Shri and you know go to all the press events surrounding it like this this to her is the first step and Ashna she doesn't get how how resentful Ashina is of her career for taking her away, and so they just—they they don't see this as the same. Th- opportunity
0: at all. It's great that we got this perspective. It's great that we see the parallels and just how similar they are and hopefully they can bridge that gap of understanding uh, in the, in future chapters and that's really going to inform so much of what we see now um, with Ashna's interactions with her. It's been very, very emotional couple of chapters. <laughs> yeah, very much all right. so. Alright,
1: next week we'll talk about chapters 13-14 of Recipe for Persuasion. And I am truly at the edge of my Seat and knowing what happened to Shoby, so stay tuned.